We've been in a series that we just started recently about building and what that means. Uh, our big question that we've asked a couple weeks ago is what do we do during COVID? So COVID comes and changes everything. And I don't know if you're like me, but um, it seems like everything is different now. And so uh, there's a big challenge on what are you supposed to do and how do we act and what happens and it seems like everything's at a standstill. So what should our lives look like? And so the answer is that God is building. His kingdom has never stopped. Jesus is seated on the throne. He is the Lord over all things, and his plan has never changed. His plan is that he would build his church. They would be his people, his own bride, his body, who would reflect him, who would uh, be his ambassadors in the earth, and who would honor him in every way. And what that means is expanding his gospel throughout the whole earth, discipling everyone around us. Jesus said it this way. He said that we should go forth and make disciples, that we should baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that we should teach them to obey everything that he had taught us. And so that's what the church is about. That's what God is doing. He's building his church. And it's striking that even despite all the things that are happening and uh, businesses that are closing down, which is terrible, and uh, the isolation that's occurred through COVID and all these kind of things, uh, God is actually flooding the internet with the gospel as churches have gone online all of a sudden. And the Lord is doing lots of things, which is good, isn't it? Praise the Lord for that. The problem is sometimes we can look at that from a distance and say, wow, God's doing some good things in the midst of all the bad. And then we get all the news cycle and there's lots of bad things. And all of a sudden we kind of hunker down into our isolated life and we don't see anybody and we don't do anything and we're not sure what we should do. Um, if you know the whole register of Netflix or the whole register of Amazon Prime, or you know all the shows, you're just watching for new ones to pop up, then you're in that place, and we've all been there. And so we need to be clear about what God is doing. So we're looking in the book of Ephesians. If you'll please look with me in Ephesians chapter 1. My favorite way to remember Ephesians is Gentiles eat pork chops, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. In the New Testament, if that makes sense to you, great. If it doesn't, let's get a coffee. I'll explain it to you. <laughs> Just a way to remember the books of the Bible. We're going to look in Ephesians chapter 1. I love this book. I love the letter to the church in Ephesus. It's written by the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to a church who is uh, in an interesting area. There's a giant pagan temple in this town. And it's known for that. Uh, the people are under constant uh, trials because of it. And Paul is reminding them about what Christ has done in their lives and about the gospel and bringing them into a greater revelation of who God has made them to be in the midst of living in a place where there's a lot of strife. And as we look at the book of Ephesians, we see Paul's heart, but God's heart for his people of what he's done and how he loves us. And it's, a, it's so wonderful to read this book. It's a book that I come to time and again uh, for my own encouragement, but also just to build up others around me. Ephesians is a, is a great book for building yourself up, for reorienting yourself onto the gospel, onto what Christ is doing. It's a, wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful read. So I encourage you to be in it over the next few weeks as we are going through the series. It's not a very long book. Uh, read it all the time. Read the whole letter and get the whole context of what God is saying. It will be a blessing to you. We're going to read this morning Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start right at verse 1. Let's read together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite things, all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Praise the Lord for his word. Have you ever uh, gotten a greeting card and you receive that greeting card for a birthday or a big event or whatever, and you read it and you're like, wow, that's so wonderful. And you're built up by the words, you're like, that's so nice. And then sit back and you think for a second, you're like, what does it mean? Uh, I think the church in Ephesus maybe thought this for a moment as they read the introduction to Paul's letter to them. And it's beautiful and it sounds so wonderful. And it's got a lot of big words in it and things where sometimes when you sit back, you're like, wait, that's a lot of stuff he just said. What, what is he actually talking about? So today this is going to be a little bit different. And I want to go through uh, verse by verse in sort of a teaching style, if you'll bear with me. I love telling stories. I used to be in the Army. All my stories are Army. I'm sorry about that. Uh, there'll be one today, I'm sure. But, uh, but um, today, to understand this, especially, this is actually our third sermon in the series so far. But as we're looking at this and we're coming just at the beginning, we bounced around a little bit in Ephesians. And starting right here at the beginning, as we're looking at this, we need to understand what Paul is saying. The bedrock, the very foundation, the introduction of the book that he's giving, it's really important. And so we're going to look at some of the words here and define them so we know that what Paul is talking about and get a better context of what he's saying. And I guarantee you, if you know Jesus Christ, you will be encouraged to hear the truth of this gospel. So as we do that, just for a little bit of context, I want to tell you about my daughter, Elena. She is 15 months old, so she's just over a year, and she's a little baby, and she's great, and I love her, and she's wonderful. And Elena has a little thing that she does, and she loves to hold your hand. So from the time that she was a baby, like an infant, she would love to hold hands, and that was kind of her like safety thing. So she didn't have, she has a pacifier, but she didn't really have a blanket or a stuffed animal, she would hold your hand, which is great and taxing. So what she likes to do, and you can do this with me just for fun, take your hand like this, and think of now her hand is little, right? So when she holds my hand, she grabs my hand, and then she likes to pinch this little piece of skin with her nails as hard as she can. So, but just take it, just hold that for a second. And everybody looks so silly, but it's okay, trust me. That's how she likes to hold hands. So I put my hand around her, I'm holding her, but that's what she does. She gets that little piece of flesh, and that's how she holds her hand. And it's, isn't it cute? Listen, it's super cute, okay? Super cute. That's how she likes to hold hands. And I was thinking about Elena as I was uh, looking at Ephesians and reading this, and Paul is so interesting as he's writing this letter because he's explaining to us the intimacy of a relationship with God that is both tender and loving and kind. And also, he uses very legal words here. You know, Elena, she's my daughter. So I'm not just holding hands with a stranger. Because that would be awkward. You know, if you're just, somebody grabs a little skin, that's weird. She's my daughter. And I'm holding hands with her, and there's an intimacy there, but it's also based on a relationship and a history that we have together. So if she's not feeling good or if she's having trouble sleeping or whatever, I know she's going to pinch that 
But it's, there's a tenderness there that's special. And as we come into the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the tenderness of God. And he's also talking about the majesty of what the Lord has done and the bigness of what he's accomplished. And so right from the beginning in verse 2, Paul tells us, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was a little kid in church, we used to sing a song that said, the Lord reigneth. The Lord reigneth over all the earth. You might remember it. Um, and so as a young person, a child, I thought that the words were the Lord raven. And so I, didn't, I thought that was a word like amen or like hallelujah or something I didn't really understand. And so I would always sing the Lord raven. And one day I was talking to somebody and uh, they said something to me and I said, the Lord raven, you know, back to them like a greeting. <laughs> and my dad stopped me and he's like, what did you say? I said, the Lord raven. He said, what? I said, the Lord raven. Like, you know, that's a thing. He goes, no, son, it's, it's, it's reigneth. The Lord reigneth. He, he reigns. He's over all things. I was like, oh, just totally got that wrong. Totally got that wrong. Sometimes we get totally wrong things that we even think we know. So right in verse 2, Paul is talking about grace and peace. What is grace? We use that word a lot. She's so full of grace, so much poise. Well, grace is not just how you handle yourself in a situation. Grace means unmerited favor. It means that God has, gra has graciously given us gifts that we didn't deserve. That out of his love for us, out of his love for his creation, he has given us good gifts, things that we didn't earn. That's what grace means. It's unmerited favor. In the same way, Paul talks about peace in verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this peace he's talking about? You know, a lot of religions talk about peace. We even talk about peace all the time. You know, peace be with you and all this kind of stuff. But the peace that Paul is talking about is a knowledge and experience of God's strife with us resolved. You understand, we were, we were at odds with God. We were the losers in that fight. The Lord had a problem with us, and that problem was we have all sinned against him. We have all fallen short of his glory. But the true peace that comes, the true peace that the Bible tells us about is not just a flittery feeling of feeling good. It's the knowledge and the experience of knowing and living in the fact that through Christ, the strife that God had against us, the wrath he had against us, the just cause against us, the war in which we were at with God, has been resolved in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk more about what that means because those are big words, and those are honestly not popular things to talk about. Nobody talks about those things. But when we talk about salvation and being saved and knowing God, we're not just saved from bad choices. We're not just saved from bad lifestyles. We're saved from the wrath of God that was duly supposed to be poured out onto us because we have failed to hold up, uphold his standard. But Christ who died for us Christ perfectly upheld his standard. His life was perfect, and though he was innocent, he died for us and suffered the wrath of our sin, of our guilty state. So true peace is knowing Christ has resolved that. He's taken away the guilty state. He took the price for it, and no longer do we stand in that. In verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
You know, a lot of people uh, talk about blessings. Blessing is a great word. I like to end emails with blessings. You know, like blessings from Stephen. Because I, you know, I love to see people blessed. But sometimes we think that blessing is like you walk out in the parking lot and a $20 bill somehow flutters off Highway 40 and lands in the parking lot. You go, wow, I'm blessed. That's not, that's not what blessing is. Although that's great, isn't it? It's a wonderful, happy thing. And that can be a blessing. But true blessing from the root of where we see it, even with Adam and Eve in the garden, is knowing God and walking with him. And so when Paul talks about every spiritual blessing and having lavished this, this gift on us, when he talks about blessing and being blessed, he's talking about how, how God has uh, given us the ability to know him and to walk with him, not just find $20. Blessing is being lavished upon by God by knowing him and walking with him. As we read on, we see that Paul is talking about these great blessings that he gave us. And in verse 4 he says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's a high calling, isn't it? The word holy itself, to define it, means set apart. It's different. It's set apart. And when we talk about the holiness of God... We're talking about the standard of who he is in his character. There is no sin in him. There is no lie in him. There's no selfishness in him. He is perfect in everything he is. And he's called us to that standard to be holy and blameless before him. I met a guy one time who uh, was um, living a pretty rough life. And I was talking to him about these things. And uh, he was going to a church, and he was doing things, and at the same time, he was living a really licentious life. He was all over the place, and, and it was not good, and it was affecting a lot of people, a lot of his friends and his family. It was, it was really disastrous for a lot of people around him. And so I asked him, I said, uh, do you understand that you are, you are sinning against God? Do you understand that you are you're choosing, that you are going to walk contrary to what the Bible says, against God's standard? And he looked me right in the eye, and he said, you know, at the end of the day, what does it matter? Because my understanding of forgiveness and God's grace is it doesn't really matter. I said, you don't, you don't understand his holiness. You don't understand that God has called you to be holy and blameless before him. Can we do that in ourselves? Of course not. Because if we look up the track record of all that we are and all that we've done, we do not measure up to his holiness. We do not measure up to the standard of perfection that God calls in our lives. But Paul is encouraging the church. He's saying because he chose us, because he's blessed us, because we know him and we're walking with him, because he's given us this peace now, because he's given us his grace of this unmerited favor, he has put on us because of Christ, because of his death and resurrection, now the blamelessness, the righteousness of Christ, that you would walk in that and be holy and blameless before him, not of our own measure, but because of Jesus. What a wonderful gift he's given us. You know, this state of being holy and blameless is everything. Because without it, you cannot be before God. Without it, you cannot know his peace. Because God is holy. And so how can he hear our prayers and how can we be before him if not for Jesus Christ who has made us holy and blameless in himself? Paul goes on to talk about being predestined, being chosen by God's sovereign will before all creation, before the foundation of the world. He had called your name. You know, God is so big. Sometimes we think that the Lord is just happenstance, but he's not. 
What's really incredible is that the, the church in Ephesus, where this giant temple is and, this, uh, and a lot of pagan rituals and all these things, most of the Greek and the Roman gods were pretty haphazard. They could, be, they could be changed by the right offerings. They were fickle in their thoughts. Sometimes they just messed with people for no reason. They had no real rhyme or reason. They didn't have a big plan. And really, they were kind of just all over the place. And most of the time, there were things that would occur where uh, you could do the right kind of sacrifices or come in in the right seasons or festivals to try to have favor with those gods. But at the end of the day, fate was fate. And you were kind of beheld to whatever that was. And so all the people that are in the church here have been influenced by a culture that was not understanding the very significance of God's sovereign choice. That if the Lord said his word over you, that it would not return to him void, but that he would instead see that resolved in your life. The beauty of this understanding of this predestination that God has given us is that he is not fickle. He is not changed by the winds. He is not beholding to fate. He's the author of history. He's the author of creation. He's the author of your life. He's over you, and the word that he said of you will not return void. How great is this God that we serve? Not only, not only this, but he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This adoption that he's given us, you know, it's one thing to have a treaty with an enemy. And you have an enemy and you are waging some kind of war together and you come to a point where you have a treaty and now there's peace between nations. That's good. And that's one thing. It's another thing to become allies after that. And the beauty of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, he didn't just resolve our sin. He didn't just take us from a state of being under his wrath, of being treasonous people who are against him, but he brought us now into adoption through his Holy Spirit, through the death and resurrection of Christ, as sons and daughters in his kingdom, as heirs with Christ. He's given us a heritage and a hope. Our adoption is in Jesus that we would be called his his people, his brothers and sisters. We belong to him. He belongs to us. We're in him. And what a beauty and what a great salvation that we have. That's more than just, that's more than just experiencing peace as an ethereal concept, but is actually being brought into the family of God. It's so wonderful. Excuse me for one second. Benjamin, come here. Thanks. My wife is in the nursery today. Praise the Lord. He's good to us. We get to be joint heirs with the Son, Jesus. How incredible is that? Paul calls us in verse 6, beloved, because God has not just saved us individually. He's not just saved you to be isolated as an island by yourself and to be experiencing God's peace alone. But instead, he has called you as part of his body. And that is one people we get to represent God together. We are meant to be together. And it's good for us to know that he has knit us together into one body. And where your gifts end, someone else's gifts start. Where you have troubles and struggles, somebody else is strong. Because God has made that his glory would be demonstrated through his people and through you and your gifting and your calling. How incredible is that? You know, this is the God who can do anything. He can do anything. He can, he can create anything. He can do whatever he wants. Out of nothing he creates. 
And he chose from the foundation of the world not only to bring you into the fold of his family, not only to forgive your sins through Christ, not only to make you a joint heir with Christ, but that he would use you to demonstrate his glory on the earth in his body to those who are in the body and to those who are outside. How incredible. What a great heritage that we have. He's given us redemption in verse 7. He has pulled us from wrath and death to sonship in life. Verse 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. You know, this uh, idea of trespass that we talk about, you know, when I was in the military, I had to go and do a big training thing, and uh, I was stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana. And Fort Polk today, I've not checked the weather, but I guarantee you it's a million degrees, and the forecast is mosquitoes. That's pretty much how it is down there. Um, Fort Polk was famous because it was the place in the United States, in the, in the continental United States, that most resembled Vietnam. So everybody who went to Vietnam would go through the swamps of Louisiana to get ready for the Vietnam uh, climate before they went to that conflict. And so incredibly, um, it is gross. That's, that's Louisiana. God, God bless it. It's a, it's a great state, but it's a weird area to train and to do things. And so on this particular training exercise, uh, I was sent out to a, a big facility. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. And the military had hired uh, shepherds and brought in, you know, herds of sheep and goats and stuff and hired shepherds who could speak Arabic. So everybody out there was like Arabic people because we were training to go to Iraq and they had thousands of soldiers in doing all kind of work and helicopters flying and all kind of stuff. And so we were out there and we were out there for two weeks. And for some reason, they thought that my unit had 300 people. That's how many people were on the books of what we had. In reality, we had about 84. And so we started getting tasked every day as if we had 300 people. And so I was 21 hours on, three hours off every day for 11 straight days. And so we were just going on adrenaline to the point where I, I'd walk in and they'd hand me a new mission and I'd go out. And this is training, but you know, there's you have like fake bullets and do stuff. And, um, but it was so exhausting. I, I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what was going on. And I had not changed clothes in 11 days. I had hardly taken off my boots. And I came in one day, my daughter says, gross. It was super gross. And I came in one day and um, I was like, man, I, I got to take a shower. I have got to take a shower. And so I went down to the showers and the, the, like, the base post commander, they had engineers come in and build a base in seven days that we would live in. So they had just built this thing. So there was a shower like facility unit and the uh, very cozy people who had never left the base, had never done anything, you know, they weren't like traveling all the time. They uh, had specific shower times. So in my three hours off a day, I came in to go to the showers and they were completely turned off. And so I went back to my unit and I said, hey, we got to turn these showers on. We got to shower. Oh, I said, oh, yeah, we're on it. So they said, okay, we've talked to everybody. They're on. Fantastic. So we went down there. Showers are off. Everything's locked up. And so I went back and I tried to put on a clean uniform. And my old uniform stood up and started talking to me. It was disgusting. And I, I remember from there I got called. Hey, you got a new mission. And I, I was so upset. And I walked into the, uh, I walked into the headquarters and my boss and, and a bunch of other people were in there, and they were like, whoa, Steve-O, you stink. And I'm like, sir, the showers are not on. They're never on for us. 
And he goes, oh, that's a, that's a problem. I said, yeah, it's a problem. And then went back out on another mission. It was awful. Here's the funny part. I was serving my country. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. I was trying my very hardest. And it was the stain of my own sweat that smelled the worst. And after 11 days, nobody's going to smell good. Nobody's going to smell good. But we think if we can just do enough, if we can somehow just show God that we're good enough, if we can just be good enough people, if we don't really, I never hurt anybody. You know, I try, I give to charity. I do stuff when I can. If I see somebody broke down on the side of the road, I always stop. And to God, even one ounce of our own effort to try to save ourselves, it smells like that 11-day-old sweat. It's not good enough. Because the, the, the beauty of Christ's sacrifice, as he who knew no sin, but yet died for us, innocent, to take our punishment for sin, his offering was so sweet to God that the smell of our perspiration is putrid to the Lord. What did God save us from? He saved us from wrath. And he called us to real redemption, knowing that our trespasses have been forgiven. It's our sin. It's the filthiness, not only of the things that we've done wrong, but also of trying to come to God in a wrong way and presenting the smell of our body odor instead of the beautiful, fragrant offering of Christ. The only way to have life, the only way to have peace, the only truth that we have is through Jesus Christ who died for us. He is acceptable, and we are not. But the beauty of the gospel is that Paul is telling us in him that beautiful, fragrant offering covers over us. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see the body odor anymore. He sees us cleansed and made holy because of Jesus. You know, you're not saved through baptism. You're not saved by the act of baptism. And yet, what a great sign that God gives us, that he himself has washed us clean. It wasn't our effort that did it. It was God's gift to us, his grace, that washed us clean. What a great God we serve. He's given us wisdom, an understanding about how God has created the world and how to make sense of the world and how to live in it. And the only way to know that is through the truth of what he's given us. Verse 9 tells us, verse 8 says, that he lavished upon us all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. What is God's will for my life? What is he doing? What's God all about? What am I doing in this world? What am I supposed to do? What is he trying to accomplish? Paul tells us now, this is the mystery. This is the wisdom that God's given us. How we should live in the world. This is what he's about. He's uniting all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. He is taking the heavenly reality of what life was meant to look like. The created order that God had initially made. He's taking what he wanted life to be. And where we failed, where we brought our own perspiration, where we have messed up and failed and, and sinned against him and transgressed his law and we have not held his standard, he instead has lavished on us the grace of sonship and forgiveness of all those trespasses by believing in Jesus Christ and he's using us, his people, to unite all things to Christ. Think about the beauty of this. God has called you, if you believe in Jesus, to be an ambassador cleansed, to be an ambassador who's made holy and blameless by his power 
to be an ambassador who would demonstrate what godly life looks like, to be an ambassador who is filled with his spirit, to be an ambassador who's united to Christ, to be an ambassador who's empowered by his mercy and love and grace and his own indwelling, that you would go forth and demonstrate what it looks like to love God and to serve him, that all creation would be blessed. That's what uniting all things to himself looks like. It looks like every business, every park, every road, every family, everything brought to bear to look like Jesus, to demonstrate his character, to see his grace. It's God's kingdom. This is what Jesus prayed. Pray this way, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that get accomplished? It gets accomplished by God who's building his church, who's making a people, who's forging in a people the character of Jesus Christ himself, that everything they do would be a gospel demonstration of his righteousness, of his restoration, of his grace, of him, that his character goes into everything we do. You know, that's why we love and discipline our children. That's why we love and speak the truth to our neighbors. That's why we do everything. It's costly sometimes, isn't it? But God's good. What is he about? He's building his church. He's uniting all things in himself. God's will is God's plan for all things. It is set and unchanging. God is making a people who are going to tend his world again the way that he intended. But we're not doing it alone. We're doing it through Jesus Christ, who has given us his power and his strength. We serve a great God, and he's on the move. You know, uh, my little daughter, Elena, I was thinking about her the other day. Again, especially last night, she had a really rough night sleeping. And um, she had held my hand and held that little flap of skin there the other day. And I was thinking about this, of how God has brought this intimacy to us. You know, the truth is, she is little tiny. Isn't it funny that babies can't do anything themselves? They can't do anything. You know, if a baby were left alone for a couple days, it's not, that child's not going to survive. They can't do anything. At what age can they actually start doing stuff? I'm, I'm asking because we need to be able to, no, I'm joking. I have five kids, so there's a lot of them. <laughs> I'll just play it. But they can't do stuff on their own. They're beholden to their parents to actually care for them and love them and help them. They can't eat by themselves. My daughter Elena is just now starting to walk. If she needs to run somewhere to save her life, she cannot do it. If she needs to uh, heat up a bottle to feed herself, she cannot do it. If she needs to change her own diaper, cannot do it. Cannot bathe herself. She can't do anything she needs to do to live. And it takes a long time for that to happen. And yet, in our relationship, we have this closeness and this intimacy where she holds my hand and she barely grabs this little flap of skin because that's all her hand can hold. And sometimes we feel like in life that we are clinging to God so close that we're holding on with our fingernails into him to try to be close to him and know what he's doing and see him and have resolve and peace in our lives and we're digging our hands into him as closely as we can. And I want to tell you that God is so big. His will is so perfect. His call is so complete. His gospel is so powerful. Christ is on the throne. And if he has spoken a word over you, he has called your name from the foundations of the earth he chose you, then his grip on you is so much bigger than you are trying to hold. It doesn't even pale in comparison to my daughter Elena holding my hand. And yet it brings her security. 
What brings us security? It's not how hard we're holding, although we should hold hard. It's knowing that God's grip on us is so complete, knowing that God's call on us is so perfect, knowing that he is the one scooping us up. You know, when Elena holds my hand, the only reason she can hold my hand is because I have placed her in a place where she can reach me. She can't do it on her own. Could any of us get to God on our own? We couldn't. And yet we say, Lord, I feel so far from you. Lord, I feel so dry in the season. Lord, I need you. And you know, those times are valid. We all have those times, don't we? Especially with COVID, especially feeling, uh, feeling isolated, especially with questioning and wondering, where is the world going? You look at the news cycle and it's like, man, it's just going crazy. And yet I'm telling you, God himself has scooped us up according to his word. He's the one who holds us. He's the one who's brought us close to him. And if you can hold on to him, even the little bit that you can grab, it's only because he's the one who's actually pulled you to himself. To know the grace and the peace and the assurance of God, who's not haphazard, he's not pushed about by the winds of change. He doesn't react to the fanciest of sacrifices. There was only one sacrifice that made us at peace with God, and it was Jesus Christ, and it was complete and perfect. And our hope and our heart and our faith rests on Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Lord. He's the only way. And as we cling to him, we are clinging to He is God. We're with him. And by the power that he has said, his own word over us, it will not return to him void. He's called us to a greater thing. What has he called us to do? He's called us to represent his kingdom, to be his ambassadors, to step out and tend the earth that he's given us, to tell everybody about Jesus, to bring them into the fold, to disciple them that they could look like him also, to make our families look like him in our businesses and our jobs and our everywhere to be a blessing. That's what God's called us to. That's what he's about. That's what he's building and that's what he's doing. Perhaps for you it's been a long time. Perhaps you're listening to this whole thing and you're saying, you know, that's all good and that was good for Paul and, you know, it's, that's neat to know all those things now, but I'm just not sure. I'm telling you, the truth of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died. He died for us that we would know peace with God. If you don't know peace with God, maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but if you can't say that you know peace with God, that the wrath of God has been resolved in Christ Jesus, then today is the day of salvation. Instead of bringing your own perspiration to God, come to him through the perfect gift of Christ, the perfect fragrant offering that he gave, and say, Lord, it's not by my might, but it's by your call. I submit to you, forgive me. Lord, forgive me of my trespasses. Make me holy and blameless before you. If you've been living an unchecked life during COVID, and you think there's no accountability and nobody's seen and you're deleting your browser history all the time or whatever, come to him again. Say, Lord, forgive me. Make me holy and blameless. Lord, I know it's by Christ that I'm saved. Forgive me, God. And according to the word of God, if you confess your sins to him, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Maybe it's been a long, long time. Maybe you haven't been to church in years. Maybe you heard this as a kid and you're not sure. Maybe it's been 40 years since you were baptized and you're not sure if it took. I'm telling you, if God washed you clean, then he washed you clean. And so you can come to him and say, Lord, I belong to you. Forgive me, bring me back in the fold. 
let me know your peace again and engage again in his mission. How do you do that? Read the word. Pray. Call somebody in the body. Get encouraged. Call me. I'll meet with you. If you need prayer, I will lay hands on you, regardless of COVID, because that's what the Bible says, and you will know God's peace. After this meeting is over in a little bit, I'll be right here. If you feel so dry that you're not sure if the water can flow again, let me pray for you. There's, I have nothing magic, but I'm telling you, by the word of God, he is powerful. His call never returns to him void. And according to his word, you will feel it again because he is gracious to us.